Hello and welcome again to the program Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. In chapter 12, we were introduced to a Jeremiah who was shy, a Jeremiah who was always complaining. We're coming to the end of the complaints. The complaints have they've almost dried up. They've stopped. He's not complaining anymore. He's now become a different man. He's not distracted. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah was diligent in proclaiming the word of God to the people. But the people, particularly the priests and the other prophets, were none too happy with what he was preaching. So unhappy, in fact, that they declared that Jeremiah deserved a sentence of death. Now, you'd think that living for God should have put Jeremiah on easy street, but apparently not. Tonight, Dr. Corbett is in Jeremiah chapter 26 to look at a sentence God did not write. This is taken from, uh, we're going from verse 7 down to the end of the chapter, so it's Jeremiah 26, verse 7. It says here, the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. Now, whenever you read scripture, if you're in a hurry, you're probably not going to get the best out of it. It's kind of like coffee. You can, you can drink instant. You can. You shouldn't, but you can. It's better if you have the espresso coffee that, that just takes a bit of time. All that's the same as scripture. It's, you can rake the surface of it and you won't find gold. You'll find dead leaves, perhaps, for you. But if you can just take a little bit of a shovel and just dig the leaves out of the way and just dig down a little bit, you, you, you may even find gold here. Consider this verse. Just, you know, we, it's one of those kind of verses you could just... The priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. Now, what would be the reception of priests? on How do priests and prophets in God's house, in church, receive God's word. Do they, do they receive it? Do they reject it? What's going on here? Well, I want to make a point that this was what Jeremiah was doing was shocking. <laughs> He's preaching the word of God in the house of the Lord, and these guys are shocked by it. The priests and the prophets are shocked from hearing the word of the Lord in the house of God. This is not right. <laughs> So here's the first thing. I just want to just pause here for a moment. The word of the Lord should be heard in God's house. It should be. This is life. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all of this is inspired by God. All of it. That's why I say there's, there's laws about don't eat certain types of shellfish. And you think, oh, what the heck? What's that? Jesus wrote that. Jesus, the one I adore, the one I vowed to love and serve with all my heart, he wrote that in the Old Testament. And I know that there are some people who say, well, that was just a food law and there's a principle that maybe we should apply today. And there are groups of Christians that kind of take that approach. But I don't think that's what's going on at all. I think there's something else going on. And if you want to know what else is going on, ask me later. But it's there for a very profound reason. Verses like that. Here we've got the word of the Lord in the house of God. And the priests and the prophets don't like it. <laughs> so what do we learn from this? Let's have a look. Next verse, verse 8. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priests and the prophets laid hold of him. Now, that's about where my discernment gift would kick in. You know, I've preached, the elders, the deacons come up, grab me, scruff me, lift me off the ground, begin to throw me out. Discernment would kick in and go, I don't think they liked what I said. 
I've sharp, over the many years, I've sharpened my discernment to pick little things up like that. Here they've laid hold of him. I don't think they liked what he said. So, especially when they said, they laid hold of him saying, you shall die. About then my discernment would go, oh, I really don't think they liked what I had to say here. So this is something, just as we look at this, can you, can you see here that the word of the Lord is often very uncomfortable for some people, particularly the religious people. Now this is the word I need to qualify, clarify and define. Because I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with being religious. Religious means you have certain routines. But if you do it in a heartless way, the, the old times used to call it form. You have a form. You, your ceremony, your routine, there's a, you have a form, and they call that being formal. So if you, you have a form where you're more interested in the routine than in why you're doing the routine. It's that, that's what I mean by religious in this sense. So being religious in the sense that you've got routine and regularity and things that you you treat as sacred nothing wrong with that james chapter one says pure and undefiled religion is this and he lists it so there's nothing wrong with being religious in a right sense but there's a religion that's more interested in being religious than it is about god and living in devotion to god and whenever the word of god is preached it it often and I say often because I, I didn't want to overgeneralize, but maybe we should over. Maybe we, should, maybe, maybe we just put it out there. The word of God actually makes those people who are religious very uncomfortable. Verse nine: Why have you prophesied uh, in the name of the Lord? So we're, we're Jeremiah twenty-six, verse nine, saying, "The house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without inhabitant." And the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house. Of the Lord. And the officials of Judah heard these things. They came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord, took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. And here we are, verse 11. Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and to all the people, This man deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your own ears. <clears throat> Okay, now, this is, this is a pretty irrational reason to kill someone. <laughs> he said some nasty things about our city. Let's kill him. This is really irrational. Can you see that? It's like he said some things against the city. He deserves to die. Say, what? I mean, how many people would be left in Launceston? If we spoke, if, you know, it's like this is irrational. And this is what I want you to see, that their opposition to Jeremiah was not rational. It wasn't reasonable. Sometimes you hear objections like this. The, the 2004 Boxing Day Indian Ocean tsunami. There you go. There cannot be a God. Uh, you lost me. How does that show there cannot be a God? Well, if there was a good, loving or powerful God, he would not allow that. Therefore, there cannot be a God. This is one of the arguments that atheists use. So let me get this right. Just break it down for me. Because there was this massive evil happen, you're saying because this was so evil, there cannot be a good God. Yep, that's right. Then how do you know it's evil? 
Well, compared to what? Compared to what? Because if God is the ultimate standard of good, I get it. I get what you're saying. But if there's no God, there's no evil. Because how do you know? There's no good to compare it to. Does that make sense? In other words, some of these things, they sound highfalutin, but they're actually quite irrational. And as someone would say, there can't be a good, loving, or powerful God when there's evil in the world. I, I go, I think you're looking at this wrong. I think you need to ask a, a different question. What has a good, loving, or powerful God done about evil in the world? I've got an answer for that. And I'm not trying to be smart or even reasonable i'm just trying to be factual that 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 what has a good loving or powerful god done about suffering misery and evil in the world he's entered into it he's become the ultimate victim of it and he's conquered it that's what he's done about that i want you to notice too here's i don't know how if you've been sharing your faith somewhere and you've been telling people about what jesus has done in your life and the tremendous change that's happened and i think if we had people just take the microphone and come and share one story after another even if we just gave you three minutes and you could say before i came to christ i was just getting away with whatever i could i didn't really have a moral compass although i just kept feeling it wasn't quite right some strange things happened i met some people they started to tell me about jesus it messed with my head and eventually they, I, I, I got invited to church. I, I, I thought the walls would fall down. I came to church. The walls didn't fall down. I heard something that changed my life. It got me thinking. I went away and I began to, well, I now call it prayer. I didn't know what it was then. I just began to talk to the God who might be there. And he began to talk to me. And my life has changed because I gave my life to Jesus. I'm sure we could hear that story in multiple forms many many times over from this from those just gathered here today so what knowing that that god wants to share his love with people through people what what does the enemy want to do quite simply the enemy of your soul wants to wants to keep you from doing that and how will he do that c.s lewis in screw tape letters says that you know it's a, a fictional story of how the devil works to undermine christians it says that the devil used busyness get you so busy and and the devil used all kinds of distractions pleasures and leisure and enjoyment to distract you from honing in on god then in screw tape letters there's the the junior demon and the the senior demon and the senior demon is saying how are you going with your project and he says, I'm not doing very well. And he says, have you tried bringing in division? Getting them to fight with other Christians. Have you tried that? Yes, I did. But they forgave each other. <laughs> and it's the frustration of this demon trying to distract this Christian and not getting very far. But here's the, here's the absolute guarantee that when you start to do things for God, you have an enemy. You have an enemy. Church, we as a church have an enemy. And that enemy wants to distract us. You know, I would think if someone's laid hold of you, they put you up against the wall and boom, and they say, you will die if you keep saying that. That, for me, might be a slight distraction from the message. Wouldn't you think? Um, I want you to see, though, <laughs> that 
Jeremiah, notice his response. I want you, I want you to see this. So, um, verse 12 says this, Then Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city all the words that you have heard. Now look at this, verse 13. Now therefore, I want you to consider what he's doing. Hear, hear what he says, but consider, look at what he's doing. Now therefore, mend your ways and your deeds, obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will, re- will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. What's he doing? <laughs> because that's not, that, that's not a copy of my speech. My speech would go, don't hurt me! <laughs> pain and I hate it <laughs> that kind of thing alright I'll shut up that's probably how my speech would go be very short but that's not Jeremiah's speech Jeremiah says the Lord sent me you know, up against the wall laid hold of him you will die the Lord has sent me to tell you and he just goes on what do you have to do to distract this guy because this is not the Jeremiah we were introduced to in chapter 12. In chapter 12, we were introduced to a Jeremiah who was shy, who was weak. A Jeremiah who was always complaining. We're coming to the end of the complaints now. We're coming, this whole section is Jeremiah's complaint. We're, we're, we're right up really close now to where the complaints have they've almost dried up. They've stopped. He's not complaining anymore. He's now become a different man. This is amazing. He's not distracted. Now, there's a clue. There's a clue. Don't get distracted from proclaiming the message. There's a lot of side issues. We could go chasing rabbits down certain rabbit holes, but let's stick to the main game. Jesus is Lord. He died for your sin. He loves you incredibly. He wants to offer you new life. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Verse 14, we read, But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you. Oh, mate. (laughs) This is a guy who has come into a zone of trust in God. And I really want to hone in on the last part of this next verse. Verse 15, Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and its inhabitants. And here's what I want you to see. For in truth, the Lord sent me to you to speak all these words in your ears. I want you to get that. Jeremiah says, this is the truth. This is the truth. Now, here's what I've come to know. Whenever you speak the truth, <laughs> there will be people who get it. it because truth resonates with a human soul in a way that a lie cannot truth resonates with the human heart in a way that a lie cannot because we are born romans chapter 2 says we are born with a knowledge of god we are born with a knowledge of his law when when i say to you do not steal It's like me tapping a tuning fork and putting it up to your heart and your heart goes in perfect sync with it because it's written on your heart already. When I say to you there is one God, tuning fork, it resonates because we're created to know there's one God. Truth resonates where a lie cannot. 
Now I want you to see what some of his hearers did. He just said the truth, verse 16. Then the officials and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, this man does not deserve the sentence of death. I want you to see what they're doing is they are about to evaluate Jeremiah's message based on the word of God. And, and the, the whole last section from verse 19 to 20, uh, 23 is them remembering what the word of God had already said that God would do if the people turned away from him and what would happen to the city if they turned away from him. And they just simply re- rehearse it from the word. So here's a big, big deal principle. Evaluate what someone says from the word of God. But that's not all that's going on here. Because what does that, that should tell us, because Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ said, you search the scriptures for in them, you hope to find eternal life. And he never said that was wrong. Jesus said, these things the scriptures spoke of me and the scriptures cannot be broken, Jesus said. What does Jesus think of the book that he wrote? He thinks it's the truth. He thinks it's the word of God. So here's here's a principle that we're now seeing employed here, but here's a bigger principle too. You can know the truth by the word of God. What's true? Well, evaluate it against the word of God. So this this is a a powerful point that's being made here. Notice he does not deserve the sentence of death, hence the title of this message. For he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. So they've pronounced a sentence on him. He shall die because he spoke against this city. Pretty irrational. And they say, no, 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 hang on. That, that, he does not deserve that sentence. Something's been said about him that has defined him. Criminal. Must be put to death. A sentence has been written against him. Here's the question I just... Divert for a moment and ask this question. What sentences have been written against you? What things have people said about you that you knew was wrong, yet they used that sentence to define who they said you were? This is a a pretty amazing thing that's going to happen here because this last section that they go through and they rehearse things. But you come back to that that, that verse 14 thing. I'm in your hands. Do with me as you will. Have your way. Just I'm, I'm at ease here. What's going on here? Jeremiah had learned to trust God in his difficulties. He'd learned to trust God in his difficulties. I, I haven't. I'm learning and relearning to trust God. Here was Jeremiah. These guys are going, you're going to die. And he's going... Whatever. I know you aren't in control. God's in control. Does that sound like something happened out of Jesus' life? Remember Jesus with Pilate. Pilate says, don't you know I could put you to death? Jesus has the temerity to say to him, you've got no power at all unless my father had given it to you. Who's in control of this conversation? Wow. Jeremiah had learned... To trust God. Now note this, God doesn't promise that our lives will be without difficulties. And Jeremiah learned that. I just want to share with you 
my namesake, the Apostle Andrew. He, very early on, after the, the disciples were scattered from Jerusalem, went to Byzantium, which is kind of what we would call Turkey today. So Andrew had this, this influence there. Well, the, the Roman procurator at that time in uh, uh, 69 AD uh, brought him before the Roman court and said, you, you are encouraging the worship of false gods. And he said, no, Rome promotes demons as gods. Hmm, gutsy thing to do before someone who could kill you. And the, and the procurator says, his name is Ejaeus, said to him, don't you know I could put you to death immediately? He says, I know that. My saviour was put to death immediately by the Romans too. And he said, yes, but... We will crucify you too, just like we crucified your saviour. And he said, I preach the cross. <laughs> you get this? I preach the cross. I love the cross. Bring it on. This is what he said. He said, but let me tell you this. The cross is not what you think it is. I've got the full quote here. He said, the cross is the means for you, procurator, to find peace with God and eternal life beyond the grave he's preaching to the guys about to put him to death and then andrew was crucified and like some of the apostles they said not in the same way that jesus was i'm not worthy to die the same death peter was crucified upside down andrew was stretched out in an x as he was there dying people are passing by and he's he's saying to them Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. He died on a cross like this for you. Turn to Jesus. <laughs> I'd be a little bit distracted at that moment if that was me. He's preaching the gospel. Isn't this amazing? God doesn't promise that our lives will be without difficulties, but he does promise to help us get through them. Whatever you're going through right now, he can help you get through. And so look at, look at some of these guys. I, I just... Have a look at this one. They took Uriah. So here's a guy. He was a prophet. We don't know much about this guy. He mentions Micah. We know about him. He's got a book in the, in the Old Testament, so we know about him. This guy, Uriah, from Egypt. They took him from Egypt. They brought him to King Jehoiakim, who struck him down with the sword and dumped his dead body in the burial place of the common people. Now, Jeremiah knew this because Jeremiah was a prophet to Jehoiakim as well. And I think this guy here, verse 24, the hand of Aachim, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah. He's reminding the, the current king, uh, Mataniah, you remember what your, you remember what your uh, uncle did? He, he, he took a prophet who spoke against this city. He had him put to death. Remember what they did to him? They bur- the Babylonians came and burned his eyes out and killed him. Um, Matt and I, you, you want to be careful what you do to a prophet. And I think that's kind of what's going on here in verse 24. So, but it does tell us, it is this example that just because you serve God doesn't mean everything will go exactly the way you like. And I'd love to tell you something other than that. Really, I would. But I know this, that as you, some, for some people, they're going to have a comfortable life and it's going to be wonderful. God bless you. I wish that was my cross. I hope it will be my cross. Up till this point, it has been my cross. But I've just got a sneaking suspicion that that's not all that life's about. And it's not 
the way some people view Christianity, I'm in for the ride as long as the ride is smooth. I don't think that's Christianity. But here's the good news. Whatever difficulties you're going through now, God can redeem them. You know, the, the thing is, Jeremiah didn't die a, a martyr's death. He didn't die an agonising death. He, he, he lived out his life. God preserved him. Whatever difficulty you're going through, God can redeem it. You may have been raped. You may have been sexually abused. You may have had a business partner betray you. You may be here and you've done something horrible. Whatever you've done, God can redeem it. Whatever's been done to you, God can redeem it. God can redeem your life. And I want to offer you, whether you've been walking with Christ for 25 years or whether you've just walked 25 steps into this building today, I want to offer you the hope that your life can be redeemed. Here's a prayer that you might like to pray. It says, God, please forgive me of my sin. Come and live in me and help me to live for you. I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross in my place. I want him to be Lord and Saviour of my life. Teach me what I need to know and help me to share with others what I now know. And if you're prepared to pray that, because you're one prayer away from having your life redeemed. It's not that this prayer is anything magic, it's just a, a vehicle. Let's pray. God, please forgive me of my sin. I, come and live in me and help me to live for you. I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross in my place. I want him to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Teach me what I need to know and help me to share with others what I now know. Because God, we know <laughs> that you love us. That the pain, the punishment that we deserve, Jesus bore that on the cross. Jesus died on the cross in our place. For me, he died. For me, he died, yelled the writer. And so, Father, I pray that today for every person here, for, especially for those who have not yet given their life to you, Lord, move in their hearts right now. Help their hearts to be warmed toward Jesus. And Father, for those of us that are battling with issues of pain from our past, issues from our past, issues of things that we've done, issues of things that have been done to us, Lord, I pray that the healing grace of God would flow through every heart, mind and life now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah learned to trust God in his difficult circumstances. He knew that living for God didn't mean a stroll down easy street. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters, including tonight's program, A Sentence God Did Not Write, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. 
Dr. Corbett is pastor of the Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to having you join us again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.